You can keep your Bibles open to Psalm 79. That is going to be the main text that we're going to use today. Which is why I selected it for the scripture reading. A lot of today is going to be very, very personal. Um, I'll share from my personal feelings and my personal convictions, um, and from my personal history, some. But the most important thing here is that the Word of God be exalted. Years ago, while I was serving in another church, I became very disillusioned with the form of Christianity that I had witnessed being practiced there. This is a church that most people would consider to be successful. It had all the earmarks. It had a lot of people. It had a lot of programs. It had a lot of organization. But something was lacking. Something rather profound was lacking, and that was the power of God. The power of God was nowhere to be seen. The power of God was lacking. And I had been praying for several months for God to do a work of revival, not only a work of revival in me, but a work of revival within the church. I grew very, very tired of the moralistic messages that were being preached They were devoid of scriptural truth, and they were devoid of scriptural context. The music had appealed primarily only to felt needs, but it lacked theological depth. I mean, one of the areas I think we have really confused in in, in the Christian culture today is that of worship, and that worship is synonymous with music. But we don't worship to feel good. It's not about us. It's all about God. Everything was being acclimated toward the personal felt needs. Powerless, powerless preaching. Powerless preaching. That appealed also to emotion. And lacked the conviction and the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It was dead men preaching dead words, by and large, to dead people. And anyone and everyone was called a Christian. Didn't matter how you lived. Didn't matter where your heart was. You were a Christian. And despite the the attraction of of what I consider kind of a quintessential American church, I saw everything but the power of God. It had it all. People flocked to it because it was new, it was energetic. And I kept saying, why are we not seeing visitations of the Holy Spirit? And I began to wonder in my heart, where did the preaching go that gripped people's hearts? Now, my own 
spiritual development in my own spiritual journey in Christ, God was drawing me deeper to Christ. And I began in my own pursuit to study great men of God. Men like Leonard Ravenhill and J.C. Ryle and Charles Spurgeon, A.W. Tozer, Martin Lloyd-Jones, E.M. Bounds. I began to study and I began to read the Puritan writers. And I noticed that there was a marked, there was a very, very marked difference in their experience in, in Christ. It was, it was phenomenally marked difference. Something that we don't see much of today. And I began, they knew a fear for God, a desire for holiness. And it was evident that they had an experience with God. Salvation to them was not merely a set of doctrinal beliefs that they had, but salvation to them defined their very beings. They were defined by their experience with Christ. And their walks with Christ were so much more robust than what I was experiencing. They, they had an intimacy with the fellowship with God. Simply put, simply put, they experienced God, period. End the story. They experienced God. They spoke with a power and with an anointing from God. Their faith was their life. It wasn't separate and aside. And I knew immediately what they had I wanted. What they had, I wanted. And that was a deeper fellowship with Christ. I wanted to know God. I wanted to experience God. I wanted to be drawn into the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And I knew that everything in me had to change. Everything. I challenged everything that I was told up until that point about faith and life in Christ. And I immersed myself in the Scriptures to see if what I was experienced was true. And lo and behold, it was true. It was there for me. The Holy Spirit took me deeper. And I left that church. And I never looked back. God began to work to draw me deeper into Christ and to realize that to be a Christian is to know Christ. Not to know about Him, but to know Christ. And to be, and to be a Christian is the beginning of a process where God draws us deeper and deeper and deeper into him. And there is no end to the fullness and the joy that the Lord has us. I've entitled this message today, Revive Us Again, because I believe that the church needs to return 
to the Holy Ghost power with which it was birthed at Pentecost. We need to go back. We need to go back. We need to go back to the power of God that birthed this church in Acts chapter 2. And so I want to issue a challenge to everybody today. The same challenge I issue to me. I want to issue it to you. In our text today in Psalm 79, we'll get there in a moment, our text illustrates four burdens, four burdens that we're to have. Particularly in this day and age, four burdens. And I think believers need to carry these burdens. I think we need to be bothered with these burdens. I think we need to shoulder these burdens until such time that God breaks through. And the first of these burdens is to have a brokenness for the glory of God. A brokenness for the glory of God. The second is to have a brokenness over sin. A brokenness over sin. The third is to have a broken, brokenness for the presence of God. And lastly, number four, is to have a brokenness over our blaspheming and sinful culture. Take a look at me today at Psalm 79, specifically verses 9 and 10 is going to be the main body of our text today. Psalm 79, verses 9 and 10. The text reads, Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of thy name, and deliver us, and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. Wherefore should the heathens say, where is their God? Now I want to give you a historical background to this particular psalm and to what it is referring to. This is called one of the imprecatory psalms. Imprecatory psalms means, I'll put it in modern day English, a really tough psalm that says a lot of tough things. Plain and simple. The psalmist is calling on God for justice. For justice to God's enemy. That's what an imprecatory psalm is. Now, this is a psalm of lament. This is a psalm of lament. It's written by Asaph. And it speaks of the destruction of Jerusalem that occurred in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. This is the day that he's referring to, the day of Jeremiah, the prophet, who had prophesied and warned Israel of the impending judgment of God because of their sin, their rebelliousness, and their rejection of him. And what happened? Exactly as Jeremiah prophesied. 
the Babylonians descended upon Judah. They descended upon Jerusalem. And in the year 586, they desecrated, went into Jerusalem, killed thousands, perhaps tens of thousands, took others off into exile, among which was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They would go off to exile in Babylon for 70 years. But above all things, what they did is they went into the temple and they laid waste to the temple. They desecrated the temple. Now, to understand the role of the temple, the temple was the dwelling place of God. They went into the temple They desecrated it, they looted it, they tore it down, and that was the dwelling place of God. To a Jewish person at that time, that is devastating beyond measure. Beyond measure. The dwelling place of God is destroyed? Yes, It was destroyed. It was a dark day for the nation of Israel. Pagan, demonic forces, pagan, demonic forces descended upon the city of God and upon God's chosen people and laid waste to it, laid complete waste to it. And the first thing we're going to see here in verse 9 and 10, and we even see it earlier in the, in the psalm, is there is a brokenness from the psalmist. There's a brokenness for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Look here in verse 9. Help us, O God, of our salvation, for the glory of thy name. For the glory of thy name. The psalmist writes of a brokenness, the, the psalmist is, is, is devastated, and he's devastated for the reputation of God. For the reputation of God. That's what he's devastated for. I'm pretty confident that in that day and age, many people cried out to God and said, Oh God, where are you? Save us, save us. But they saved us for the fear of their life. The psalmist speaks of a, a brokenness for the glory of God. And church, let me share something with you. An equal invasion, an equal invasion has happened to our nation. And it has happened to the church of God. Godless demonic forces have overrun our culture. And they have even overrun some of our churches. We live in a day of deconstruction and reconstruction. That's the day we're living in. Demonic philosophies have infiltrated our society and our churches. The world has deconstructed the creative order of God. Man, if you were with us at the beginning as we were studying Genesis and we were going through the creation, we talked a lot about creative order. God spoke specific things into existence. He spoke specific things into existence. He spoke marriage into existence. He spoke gender into uh, existence. Male and female, he created them. uh, Male and female, God created them, right? He spoke order into the world. He spoke 
animal life and he spoke human life into the world. God spoke. As a matter of fact, if you find most sins, you will be able to trace it back to a violation of the creative order in Genesis. Just take any sin, you'll be able to find that. But what is the world doing today? They have deconstructed those institutions that God has brought forth, and they have reconstructed them according to their word, not God's word. Our society has obliterated, it has obliterated the creative order of God and brazenly declared, brazenly, we will not follow. We will not follow. And so what has happened? What's happened to our nation? God has turned over our land to wicked leaders. Wicked leaders in Washington, D.C. Wicked leaders in our state houses. We're living in the days of Romans chapter 1. Reprobate people with reprobate leaders who lie, who cheat, who steal. To advance the enemy's agenda. This is the day we're living in, folks. Evil leaders, what do they do? They pass evil laws. And that's pretty evident by the legislation we've seen passed in this nation in the last 10 years or so. They rule with no fear of God. How could they have a fear of God? We're murdering 61 million babies. Where's the fear of God? And they have no fear of man, by the way, too. They have laid waste to the moral foundations of God to pursue a godless and a hedonistic type of society. And the world watches as this once great nation has become the laughingstock of the world. And that's what happens to a people and a nation who reject God. Hey, you don't believe me? The Scripture says it. Psalm 14, 34. Righteousness exalteth the nation. Sin is a reproach to any people, the Word of God says. Psalm 79, 4. We have become a reproach to our neighbors. That's exactly what they say here in verse 4 of Psalm 79. We become a reproach to our neighbors. We used to be Hailed, we used to be mighty, we used to be glorious, and now look at us, we have become a reproach to our neighbors, a scoffing and a derision to those around us. This is the state of our nation. And what are the righteous to do? That's the question. What are the righteous to do? Believers should have a brokenness for the glory of God. We cannot be passive as we see a sinful culture continue to expand and make a mockery of the living God. That should break our hearts. It should break our hearts. Ichabod. Ichabod means the glory of the Lord has departed. Ichabod is written over our nation's capital. The glory of the Lord has departed this nation, and sadly it is written upon many churches. The glory of the Lord has departed. We need to have a brokenness 
for the glory of God. We need to see God's name exalted, God's name vindicated, God's name glorified, God's name magnified. We need to desire that God's name would be proclaimed with honor and praise and glory. The second thing we need to do is have a brokenness over sin. How do we as followers of Christ stand against this tidal wave of immorality and godlessness? By the way, great segue to our Stand Firm conference coming February 9th and the 11th, 2024. How do we stand? How do we stand against this tsunami that is sweeping our culture and infiltrating the church. God's remnant people must come to pray. And we must repent for the sins of our our nation and the sins of the church. And we, in addition to being burdened for the glory of God, for the name of God, be burdened for the reputation of God. In Psalm 79, in Psalm 79, verses 9 and 10, we hear this clear. Listen to the cry. Help us, O God. You know something about that cry? That's a cry of desperation. That's what that cry is. Help us, God. Somebody who's drowning, somebody who's in the water. Somebody who's moments from death. What do they cry? They cry, help us, God. Help me, God. We're the believers. We're God's people. We need to be crying out, God, help us. Help us. He goes on to say, oh, God of of our salvation, help us for the glory of thy name and deliver us, God. Deliver us. The psalmist You could hear his heartache for the glory of his name. What do we mean, the glory of his name? What does that mean, for the glory of the name? That God would be worshipped. That God would be honored. That Christ would be exalted. That the gospel would advance, that many would come to Christ, that the name of God and the authority of God would rule and would reign. That is why I personally pray for revival. I personally pray for revival. And that is why we should have a burden for the glory of God. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, heard me quote him often, makes this statement have you got a zeal for the glory of god if this is a burden that can come to anybody why hasn't it come to you and the question we got to ask ourselves is do we indeed have a zeal are we zealous are we desirous for god's glory or have we grown accustomed to living in a world where sin and the problems of the world are so big and God is so small. You know, we know Scripture speaks to the omnipotence, the all-powerfulness of God. But I, I fear that we have not apprehended by faith 
the magnitude of that power. In 2 Chronicles 14.11, Israel is being threatened by Ethiopian army. And the king Asa called the Lord and listened to his prayer in 2 Chronicles 14.11. It says, Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides thee to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in thee, and in thy name have come against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God, let not man prevail against thee. Listen to a few things he says here. He says, there is no one beside thee. Very important point. The problems of this nation, the problems of this culture are not going to be solved in an election. The problems of this nation and the problems of this culture is not going to be solved by a political party. Nor is it going to be solved by any particular candidate. Morality is never legislated. What do I mean? I mean there is a moral ill that prevails our culture. And the only one who could do that is God. Asa cries out, Lord, there is no one beside thee. We cannot entrust ourselves to anyone else or any other thing. He goes on to say to help in a battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. Right now the momentum is on the side of the enemy. It would appear that way, does it not? They are the powerful. They are the lobbyists. They're the ones who control government. They're the ones who control media. They're the ones that's uh, controlling the communication that you hear every single day. They are intent on drilling their ways into you to make you lose hope. But look at Ace's heart. He said, Lord... You're the one who helps, and you're the one who fights against the powerful, and you come to the aid of those that have no strength. We think we have no strength. In and of ourselves, we have no strength. How many times you read, you read something in, online, or you, read, or you hear something in the news, and you go, well, what, what could I do? I'm just one person. You know, I, I can't go to Washington. I can't do this. What you can do is get on your face and pray. And when you get on your face and pray, and when you believe in the living God who has the ability to change all things, you have the ability to move mountains in the name of Jesus Christ. And the issue for us is, do we believe in this God? The great omnipotent God. Listen, I have a terrible fear. I, I, I really fear this in the church. I fear that we have rationalized God to work in order with the world rather than a God who orders everything in the world. Our vision of God is so small. And we look at God and we, 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 we kind of believe intellectually, yeah, He's all-powerful, but, but He can be of no, no help in my circumstance. He can be of no help in my state. He can be of no help in my nation. 
It's like people say, get real. Get real. Give up on that. Church, no. No, no, and a thousand times no. He is the God of salvation. And we must return to this God so that the world will indeed see the glory of God through us that we would be the heralders, we would be the proclaimers. And you know what? Let us take the scorn and the derision that comes with that. Let us take it and let us wear it as a badge of honor. But that the world would see the glory of God through a glorified church of men and women who love God above everything, even above their own lives. Listen. We need revival. And we need our spiritual eyes opened up. We need to have the cataracts from the world removed so that we have pure and perfect vision on God Almighty and the glorious Christ and the glorious Holy Spirit. To the God and to the Christ who the Bible says upholds all things, he upholds all things by the word of his power. That's who we need to believe in. And that's why we need to have a brokenness over sin and a brokenness for the glory of God. The third thing, we need to have a brokenness for the presence, for the presence of God. Notice what the psalmist says here in verse 9. He says, help us, O God, our salvation for the glory of thy name, and deliver us and forgive us our sins for thy name's sake. I like the way the King James says it, and purge away our sins, purge them away for thy name's sake. Church, our sin of unbelief, our sin of unfaithfulness, and worst of all, our sin of indifference. When we become indifference to God, when we become indifferent to the things of the Lord. Listen, that must be brought to Christ and repented. It must be. We must return to the God of our salvation so that the world would see the glory of God. Listen, there was one person in Scripture, several people in Scripture, but one person in Scripture that that really sticks out with, and that is Moses. Just turn in your Bible. I want you to see this to Exodus 33. I want you to see this. I know I've preached this text before, but it, it, it is just ringing in my mind. Exodus 33. And just to give you the background, Moses is having a conversation with God. What I wouldn't give to be in that place that I had an audible conversation with, with God. And Moses is doing what Moses always does. He's interceding for the people. And in Exodus 33, verses 16 through 18, Moses asked this question of God. For, where, for wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Notice what Moses brings here. He said, how is it going to be known? How is it going to be known, God, 
that we are your people. Is it not by virtue of the fact that you indeed go before us? That's the premise. As a matter of fact, Moses would say before, hey, if you're not leading us up out of here because what God had said, hey, I'm going to take you out, go take the people, continue to go, but I'm not going to go. I'll send an angel to go. And Moses said, Lord God, if you don't go, I don't want to go. I'm not going. And I think about many of us, if the Lord said, hey, I want you to do this thing, I will not be in this thing, but I will send an angel, I think 90% of us, 99% of us, or maybe 100% of us would say, that's good with me, man, send the angel, I'm okay. I'll go with the angel, but not Moses. Moses said, God, it's either you come or I stay. It's either you come with us or we're not moving. I'm not going to do anything without you, God. Because why? Because I want the people to know that we are servants of the living God, that God goes before us, that the power of God walks with us, that the anointing of God goes before us so that all may fear the name of God. And church, I submit to you today the very same thing. Is that not what we want? Is that not what we want, that God go before us? Is that not what we want, that when we have an encounter with a friend, a neighbor, or somebody like that, that they would say, man, Brother Lewis walks with God. Sister Marie walks with God. Or that person walks with God. I was talking with some people this week and I was sharing with them one particular thing over the years, how many people Barbara and I had shared Christ with, not in terms of number. We were just talking about sharing Christ and being ridiculed for the faith. And I made a very important point. I said, Barbara, how many times have we shared Christ with somebody and they laughed at us and they scorned us and said, you don't know what you're talking about, blah, 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 blah. But then crisis comes into their life. And guess who gets a phone call? We do. And guess what they say? Do you think that Mark could pray for this, for that, for the other thing? And I said, you know what that says? That says that the Word of God does not go unheard or void. Why do they call me? I'm an idiot. I believe in Jesus. Why would they call me? I'm a fool. I believe in the Bible. Why would they call me? I'm an imbecile. I'm not modern thinking. I'm not this. Why would they call us? They call us because they see the reality of Christ in our life. And when push comes to shove and their mortality is threatened, they call and say, maybe you could dial up that God for me. And maybe you can tell them, do something for me. Isn't it the desire that we want that the people would say God goes with them? I don't want an angel. I want the very presence of God. I desire the very presence of God. I couldn't care how many people were in this room if the presence of God descended upon this place. You know what would happen? Those people outside those doors would be going, what in the world is going on in there? And the door would fly open. 
And the presence of God would consume them. And some would fall on their knees and repent. And some would mock and run out. But what if we were captivated and enthroned by the presence of Almighty God? Brothers and sisters, we need the presence of God. I don't know how else to say it. And if I could beg it, beg you for it, if I could pay for it, I would pay for it. But we need the presence of God. Not you're right, you're wrong. We need the power of God to descend upon this place. We need the power of God to descend upon our lives. We need the power of God so that when we open our mouth, we speak with the authority, the unction of God. Moses said it. He said that I and thy people would be separated. Don't conform to this world. This world is garbage. It's garbage. Be separated from all the people that are on the face of the earth. And our psalmist said something very similar. Look what he says in verse 10 of Psalm 79. Why should the nation say, where is their God? You know something? In ancient times, it was thought that if you captured a nation, if you captured a people, you defeated their God. That's what was thought. So imagine Babylon, pagan nation of pagan nations. And all they heard about the God in Israel. And they devastate Jerusalem, the city of God. And they take it a step further. And they devastate the temple, the dwelling place of God. In this case, you know what happened? The Babylonians boasted. Where is their God? Where is their God? Our gods were victorious. Our gods were triumphant. Which brings to the fourth point of the brokenness over a broke, our brokenness over a blaspheming culture. We see this today in our culture, do we not? The heathens are boasting that God is dead, that formalized Christianity is dying. Every day you hear of another so-called famous Christian deconverting. I love that. They deconverted. They were converted, but they deconverted. Let me share something with you. I'll put this right out. I'd say to anybody's face, any place, you cannot deconvert from Christ. You know what the issue is? The issue was they were never converted to begin with. And what they did, like Jesus says, like a dog goes back to the vomit, here's what they do. 
They were in sin. They played Christian for a little while. They said, oh boy, I'm not having fun being a Christian anymore. Therefore, I deconvert and I go back to the vomit and I go back to wallow in the muck and the mire of sin. You don't believe me? Listen to the Apostle John in 1 John 2.15. He speaks about these that deconvert. He says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out. They went out. They left the church. Why? In order that it might be shown that they, that they all are not of us. There's your deconversion. But that aside, I can't tell you the amount of news stories you hear about. Mainline denominations are dwindling as people don't go back to church. Don't buy that, by the way. That's goats. You understand what I mean by that? That's goats. Those are people that went to church, but they weren't Christian. They're goats. They're not talking about the sheep. They've been trying to predict the death of the church for 2,000 years ever since the church was formed. They have persecuted the church. They have slaughtered Christians by the million. Today, Christians, 75% of Christians live under persecution, and Christians are the number one persecuted people group in the world. You do not hear anything, anything at all about that. But all you need to look is go to Pakistan, go to India, go to North Korea, go to China, Go to Myanmar. Go to all these other countries where Christians are being persecuted. And guess what? Coming to a state near you is the persecution of the church soon to come upon this land. And you know why? Because the church flourishes under persecution. Listen, I talked about being broken for a from a blaspheming culture. There's no doubt that God is being blasphemed in our culture in horrible ways. We cannot and must not sit idly by while this happens. Church, we have to have an anguish. We have to have an anguish in our soul. And it has to transcend more than just, oh, isn't that terrible what you see going on? That's an indifference. An anguish causes you to pray. An anguish causes you to fall on your face before God. An anguish causes you to plead before Almighty God. For the sake of thy name, God, do something. And like the psalmist, the call to God must be once again to move. To move upon His church to move upon his people, to bring revival and awakening. And listen, we must be burdened, burdened for such a revival. Listen, Daniel prayed for this. Listen to the words of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, verse 19. By the way, you want to read a prayer of a man praying for his people and his culture? Read Daniel chapter 9. But in verse 19, he says, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. 
O my God, for the city and thy people that are called by my name. God, hear the cries of your people and deliver. Not to save them, for the glory of thy name, O God. Listen, it's not enough to casually pray for revival. It's not enough. Instead, our hearts need to be burdened. Burdened. Burdened for the glory of the Lord. Burdened for the advancement of the gospel. Burdened for the holiness of God. For the name of God. For the reputation of the true church. Burdened that the glory of Christ would return to His church once again. So what are we to do? What are we to do? Leonard Ravenhill says this, if we would return to apostolic practice, waiting upon the Lord for apostolic power, we could then go forth to apostolic possibilities. He goes on to say, the church, the church must first repent. Then the world will break. The church must first weep. Then our altars will be filled with weeping penitents. Church, I'm believing God for revival. I am believing God for revival. And if I live to be 145 years old, on my last day, on my last breath, I will be believing God for revival. And I'm talking about a genuine, authentic, spontaneous move of God upon the church, upon me and upon followers in Christ. Listen, many Christians believe, many Christians, I have heard this time and time again, many Christians believe that revival can only happen when everything is going right in the church. But that's not what history shows us. History shows us that revivals occurred when things were going dreadfully, dreadfully wrong. Take the Reformation. That was perhaps the church's darkest hour. And the church used one of the most unlikely people to spring forth Reformation in the church and rescue the church from the dark days of Rome. I submit to you, church, we are the most unlikely church. And we are some of the most unlikely people that if we have a burden for God and we put ourselves in the way of God, God, use me in whatever capacity, in whatever way, and I lay myself before you and I say, God, use me. God can take us and use us for his glory. But we need to be desperate. It's like Psalm 79.9. Help us, O God. Help us, O God. The cry of desperation. I can't do it. I can't, I can't will this. I can't, no matter how much I preach or 
I, I, I can't bring this in of my own flesh. But as the people of God, as we humble ourselves before God, as we get before our faces before God, and by the way, I'm not using metaphor. I'm talking about get on your face before God. Humble yourself before God. Get on your knees before God. Cry out, spread out, cry, weep, and say, God, help us in this hour. For the glory of thy name. Deliver us and purge us from our sins for thy name's sake. Why? Why should the heathens say and boast and proclaim there is no God? I personally believe there's no more singular need in the church. At this hour, we need the presence of God to return. We need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, hear our cries. Revive our hearts, dear Lord. Awaken us from the sleep and the slumber that we find ourselves. Send forth, send forth forth thy Holy Spirit. Rend the heavens, O God, and come down. Come down. Vindicate your name among this culture, Father. Vindicate your name among the heathen, Father. They blaspheme your name day in and day out. Vindicate your name, O God. Bring the presence the glory of Christ back to the church. Listen, church, join me with this petition. Please, I beg you, pray for the revival fire of God to descend upon us and believe not only that God can, but that God will do this for the glory of His name. And I end with this. Why not us? Why not now? Let's close in a word of prayer.